Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. I'm J.W. Cox, filling in this week for Scott Peterson. Coming up, News Director Tasha Radel speaks to the Salvation Army of the North about how they went down south to help with hurricane relief. Sports Director Mike Grimm talks to a gopher wrestler taking full advantage of his opportunities on the biggest stages. And Scott Peterson sits down with the Alzheimer's Association of Minnesota and North Dakota. But first, this... One of the most contentious and long-standing issues of our time, abortion, returned this week to the forefront of state and national politics. Simonin's Bill Werner filed this report. Are you going to protect my Pro-choice activists outside the state capitol this week promising a fight against a Texas law that bans abortions after six weeks, which they warn could be attempted in Minnesota because the U.S. Supreme Court let it stand in the Lone Star State. Should they try to uh, take that really extreme position and bring it here to Minnesota, they need to know that the majority of Minnesotans will do everything we can to stop them. That's Megan Peterson with the group Gender Justice. State Representative Tim Miller previously introduced three times and says he will do so again, a heartbeat abortion bill, similar to the law under challenge in Texas. Miller, Republican from Prinsburg in West Central Minnesota, admits it has no chance of passage as long as Tim Walls is governor and the DFL holds a majority in the Minnesota House of Representatives. I can only do what I can do. I can only present what I believe is important, and continue to work with people as to why this bill is there. Miller also planning to introduce a bill similar to one passed in South Dakota, which would prohibit a woman from getting a chemical abortion using medications such as RU486 until she has been seen at least one time by a doctor. Scott Fishbach with Minnesota Citizens Concerned for Life says there's a lot of work still to be done, quote, before we can get to the point where we actually restore protection like they've done in Texas. We've got to work with the legislators that are with us right now. We've got to change some of the seats coming up in the next uh, election in 2022. We need to elect a pro-life governor, of course, in 2022. Minnesotans are not with them. You know, the vast majority of Minnesotans respect people's right to make their own decision about their bodies. Uh, their own decisions about whether and when to become parents. Says gender justice's Megan Peterson. Senator Tina Smith did a Zoom call with top pro-choice leaders and other advocates calling on citizens to get involved. Tippi Amundsen told reporters a medical condition would not only have taken the life of her unborn child, but also would have prevented her from having any other children. Abortion is referred to as a choice, but I did not choose it. It was the only choice I had. Amundsen said to those who support the Texas abortion law and similar measures. I encourage others to try not to put themselves in those rooms with women and families that they don't really want to be there. It was the worst place I've ever been in my life. But MCCL's Scott Fishbach says the Texas heartbeat law. It all is a reflection of the science that we have now and the medical technology that we have that shows that life truly does begin at conception. And ultimately, that's where we need to get to. Also this week, we have a lot of COVID right now. It is raining COVID. State epidemiologist Dr. Ruth Linfield as the Minnesota Department of Health reported the most hospitalized cases of COVID since April. And Linfield said COVID cases are trending younger. She said last week there were about 150 new cases per day in Minnesota schools. This week, we had 
more than 600 cases report on Monday, and yesterday had 500 cases. So this is on the way up. Meanwhile, a Ramsey County judge ruled against a group of Minnesota parents who asked the court to order Governor Tim Walz to mandate masks in all public schools. The judge said, quote, The judiciary cannot order a co-equal branch of government to exercise its discretionary political judgment to implement a specific policy, unquote. In neighboring Iowa, a federal judge ordered the state to stop enforcing a law that prohibits school districts from requiring masks. A group of parents of disabled Iowa students filed a lawsuit arguing their children face a greater threat of contracting COVID and the state law on mask mandates in schools is discriminatory. Federal Judge Robert Pratt cited the recent dramatic increase in COVID cases among Iowa children as he issued a temporary injunction barring the law from being enforced until the lawsuit is decided. Governor Kim Reynolds says the ruling takes away parents' ability to decide whether their children wear masks at school and the state will appeal the federal court ruling. That's Radio Iowa's O.K. Henderson. A new app called Docket launched by the state health department this week, which allows Minnesotans to access their immunization records on their mobile device, has put Commissioner Jan Malcolm on even more shaky ground with Senate Republicans who are talking about ousting her the next chance they get when the legislature is in session. Malcolm contends... Docket helps meet the rising public demand we've been seeing for more accessible immunization records. Republican Senator Karen Housley from Stillwater says quite a few members of her caucus upset with Malcolm's action. And to have the Department of Health create a digital one um, unbeknownst to those in the legislature is, is pretty upsetting that you're going to have to show your digital vaccine passport, um, I think it goes against our Constitution. Malcolm says... While many people we think will prefer the app and be well served by the convenience it provides, it is absolutely not required. The dust-up is also throwing into question a planned special session this month to approve COVID bonuses for frontline workers. Governor Tim Walz is reportedly reluctant to call lawmakers back to St. Paul without assurances from Senate Republicans that they'll leave his health commissioner alone. Get our work done and, and put the, the politics aside um, and put people first. Said the Senate's new Democratic minority leader, Melissa Lopez-Franzen. Union members this week accused Republicans of holding up COVID bonuses for frontline workers in Minnesota as a special working group remained stalemated. Carmen Brown, clerical worker at Hennepin County Medical Center, said they are the first to greet patients and were the last to receive personal protective equipment. As a health care worker, I am offended that Minnesota, Minnesota state Republicans are holding up paying all frontline worker bonuses. Republicans contend there's just $250 million available, and to provide a meaningful bonus, only frontline workers exposed to the highest COVID risk should be included at this time. JW? More Minnesota Matters next. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label 
uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. It's a busy time of year for the Minnesota-North Dakota Alzheimer's Association with its walks to end Alzheimer's taking place throughout the Midwest over the next month. CEO Susan Perriott explains. The walks are our largest events that not only raise awareness but the funds to provide all of our programs for care and support, research, advocacy, all the different things that we do. And across our chapter, we have 18 walks. So it's very exciting. We'll be doing this now through the middle of October. I'll get uh, into the walks a little bit more in just a moment, but I'm hoping you can tell me um, what kinds of things the, the money goes towards that's raised in these events. Oh, absolutely. The funding from the Walks to End Alzheimer's really support all of our programs. So the local programs and support that we provide, as I said, our advocacy efforts and, of course, that all-important research. So some specifics about those programs is first our 24-7 helpline that is answered in more than 200 languages. And it can be any kind of question that a person might have. It could be, I you know, have these symptoms, what should I do? I'm looking for a support group to really serious things like, you know, there are guns. We have loaded guns in the house and my spouse is having behavior changes. What should I do about that? Um, we can't get family members all on the same page. We have some people that don't want to admit that this is going on. You know, others that we see the decline in mom or dad or my spouse. How do we move forward with this? So we can talk through a lot of those situations. And I can tell you that, you know, people aren't always available 9 to 5. It's really important that we're able to answer these questions 24-7. So if something's keeping you up at night at 2 o'clock in the morning, pick up the phone and call. We are there. We also offer community education classes, and we can do class education right in your company or your business. You know, we might be at your local library. You can also go online and find all of our education online as well. We do advocacy at the state and federal level, so passing bills that directly impact families who are affected by this disease, and, of course, advocating the federal government to bring in more money for Alzheimer's research. And I'm super excited to say that since I've been here, we have increased our amount of research going to, you know, organizations across the United States. I, I can't even tell you how many fold. Uh, we were getting about $750 million when I first started with the organization 10 years ago, and now the federal government is funding research at $3.2 billion a year. That's really exciting for me. And right now we are also funding 750 research pro- programs in 39 different countries around the world. So I think that we're doing some amazing things to impact people's lives each and every day. That is good to hear, Susan. As far as progress in the research, have there been any significant developments as of late that are, are signs of, that offer signs of hope to families that are, are struggling um, dealing with Alzheimer's? Yes, such exciting things. So first off, we are learning more and more about kind of our environmental impacts 
of how everyday life impacts our risk for getting Alzheimer's disease. So what kind of foods you eat, how much sleep you get, exercise, the amount of education that you have, all of those, all of those things impact your risk for getting Alzheimer's disease. So we're learning about how we should treat our bodies from the day we're born <laughs> until the day we die. But the really big news late spring, early summer was that we have our first FDA-approved drug that can modify the disease. Aduhelm is the name of the disease, and what it does is eliminate the amyloid from the brain, and it should not necessarily improve our cognitive impairment, but it will slow down the progression of the disease. So it's not going to stop it. It's not a cure, and I definitely want to say it's not a perfect drug, but it's exciting to say that we have the first treatment for Alzheimer's disease. I have not been able to say that in 10 years, and that really means something. Now, this drug is not for everybody. It is really designed for people in the very early stages of Alzheimer's disease. So it's definitely something you want to have a conversation with your physician about if, if you would be eligible. Um, it's not a really inexpensive drug right now, which is one of the things we continue to push that may make it sure that it's accessible to all people. But it's exciting to say there's actually something that we could do to help slow the progression of this disease down and give people more time with their families. And what this will happen is more research will just build upon this and we will learn more about how this drug works and that will impact the number of other drugs that are in the pipeline and exciting things that we will learn to just kind of leapfrog that science forward. Uh, getting back to the, the walks themselves a little bit, you mentioned that there would be 18 in the region. If we have folks that are interested in participating, where would you guide them? I would go to alz.org slash walk, and then you can find the walk that's closest to you, whether it's in Minnesota, North Dakota, or you want to join a family and friend member across the United States, you can do that this year too, which is really exciting. There are over 600 walks across the country. Susan, I want to give you an opportunity as well, since we have listeners throughout the state. If we have somebody who hears this and has a loved one or uh, somebody else that they know of that they're concerned about, uh, what are some first steps that they can take uh, towards finding out more about handling Alzheimer's? Sure. If, If you have any concerns about cognition or cognition in a loved one, the first one is to first start having that conversation with them and talk about it talk with your physician, but then go on to alz.org and look up. We have Know the Ten Signs right available on our website, so you can kind of see as it, you know, everybody does have some parts of normal aging where we can't remember everything quite as well, but signs of Alzheimer's disease are definitely not normal aging, so look that over or pick up the phone if that's easier. Pick up the phone and call us at 800 272 3900. Again, we have people there 24 hours a day, seven days a week to answer the smallest question to the biggest question that you might have. And we welcome you to call as many times as you need to help on the, uh, your journey of learning about dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota North Dakota Alzheimer's Association CEO Susan Perriott. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Salvation Army of Minnesota has deployed its first team of disaster response workers to Louisiana to provide relief for those affected by Hurricane Ida. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, JW. The team from Minnesota is currently on the ground running in Louisiana. Joining me today is Salvation Army Minnesota spokesman Dan Furry. At the current time, uh, uh, nationally, we 
We've got about 200 people in uh, Louisiana in that area serving. Uh, we've got about 40 mobile feeding units on the ground, and so there are teams in and working um, to to supply help, food, hydration, uh, emotional and spiritual care to folks who who need it down there. Um, but as you can guess, the work is very challenging and. Uh, two weeks of 14-hour days is, is about what we expect out of our team members and our volunteers. So after about two weeks, we start rotating in new teams. And that's where our team from Minnesota, our first team, I should say, from Minnesota comes into play. They went down on Sunday to relieve uh, another team that's that's been there for the, the initial two weeks. I assume the volunteers have to go through some formal training before being deployed to a disaster area. You assume correctly. Um, uh, disaster response workers do have to be trained. There's, there's a series of trainings that need to, to that they need to go through before they're, um, before they're uh, capable of of deploying to a disaster response. Uh, and so that's that's. Um, uh, who has gone down uh, in this recent team. Three volunteers, one staff person. Uh, th- the three volunteers are from the Twin Cities area. The staff person is from Rochester. Um, I should point out that we're also, uh, our EDS director, um, one of the things she's been working on from the very beginning is lining up volunteers who have expressed a desire to go and help. And so when we get the next call for a placement team, uh, we, we should be ready to go. Dan, are you folks there at the Salvation Army always in need of more volunteers? You know, thank you so much for asking that question because the uh, answer is an emphatic yes. We always need more um, uh, disaster services uh, volunteers. And and part of it is because of the training that, that they need to go through. It's not horribly lengthy, but it, it does require a commitment. And and so yes, we we do need more volunteers. And I will tell you, there's probably nothing uh, more rewarding than helping people who have lost everything. It's also some of the most demanding work um, and emotionally trying work because of the things that you see. But it's it's as I said earlier, it's probably the most rewarding work um, that we offer. And switching gears a little, I know the Salvation Army has had a busy year plus helping Minnesota families navigate through the COVID-19 pandemic, and now, of course, the Delta variant. Has demand for services leveled off at all? Uh, yes and no. Um, the the request for services has slowed somewhat. They're still uh, much farther than, uh, or much, much, much more, uh, um, frequent than what a normal time frame would be. And of course, it's all because of the pandemic. Um, uh, but we, we are still giving out lots of food, more than we normally would. We are helping uh, more people uh, try and stay in their homes. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, in that, um, as, as you know, there's been a, a, a eviction moratorium in place that is ending now. Uh, so there are, I can tell you that there are 58,000 families in Minnesota that are behind in their rent. And so we expect an onslaught of requests for assistance as more and more people are facing eviction. Uh, one of the programs that we do have is, is financial assistance to help 
to help keep people in their homes. Last year, we we helped distribute four million dollars in financial assistance to help to help folks stay in their homes to avoid homelessness. And of course, we do have housing programs for for those folks who who are facing homelessness. So. Thanks again to my guest, Dan Furry, with the Minnesota chapter of the Salvation Army. Back to you, JW. More Minnesota Matters, next. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Gopher star wrestler Gable Steveson made big news last week when he announced he'd be returning to the U of M to compete for one more season while also making appearances for the WWE as a part of a landmark name, image, and likeness deal. Steveson talked about the decision this week with MNN Sports Director Mike Graham. Steveson, of course, has already cemented himself into legendary status with his gold medal winning performance in Tokyo last month, his NCAA championship with the Gophers this spring, and his high-octane personality. Now he embarks on a year coming up unlike any other. Gopher responsibility is number one. You know, that's what we talked about first with the WWE. Um, being able to compete here was my, my last goal. You know, I feel like I, owe, I don't owe Minnesota um, myself, but I feel like I owed all the fans that show up and want to watch me and, and sell out crowds. And that's what I feel like I owe back to the people. So me being able to come back is what I really want. I didn't want to leave the university. I want to spend my four years and, and leave my legacy here. And, and you know, I got great coaches. I got great people around. I got great people that come and talk to me. So being able to put on a last show for them was crazy. But my obligation with the WWE, I will be making on-screen appearances. I don't know when. I can't say when. I don't know who I'm going to wrestle. And if I did know, I can't say who. But, but um, yeah, so my obligation with them, I have a training site here. I'll be training here and... Like I said, I don't know when I'll be on screen, but when I do, I hope you guys are watching. And after looking ahead, he looks back to the last year. It's crazy. You know, a lot of people ask for pictures and I walk around campus. A lot of people recognize who you are. So, I mean, it, it's a part of the, the sports. It's part of how things go. You know, I guess it's called clout now, I guess, and something like that. So, I mean, it, it is all new. You know, I stay humble, you know, stay level-headed. A lot of people get over the top where a lot of people take pictures and lose focus on who they really are. And so my goal is to just stay who I am. And, you know, I, I do good for the university. I do good for myself and my family. So I'm just happy that I can provide all the good things for, for here and especially at home too. Steeson says this is all happening fast and he's taking it all in. The way my life does turn, like in a 360 after the gold medal, you know, I thought after winning the national title, things are going to be different. And things changed a lot. You know, I went to WrestleMania like a couple weeks after and, and got there then, uh, I had a goal of winning the, the Olympic gold, and somehow it happened. I mean, you guys saw it. It was like 0.2 left on the clock, and I got the, the last second takedown. So 
Yeah, life has done a, a major 360, and I'm I'm thankful for all the, the people that, that have came into my life and, and gave me good direction. I'm thankful for all the, for all the people that um have helped me get there to this point, too. You know, it's a, it's a long journey, and people don't understand how many hours we put in the wrestling room or how many hours we put in the weight room and how many hours we put at home eating good stuff and, and living good lifestyle. So it's, it's cool that I reached this point. Did he consider going out for football with the Gophers? 100%. I, I actually went to football practice like two times. And so I was watching a D-line because that was my position I was going to play. So I was watching D-line go at it, and I learned all the techniques and stuff. But um, right when I went after practice, I got called to go somewhere, and I told Fleck, like, hey, I just keep getting called to go this place and this place and this place. And I told him in person, and I told his wife, too, like, I can't even – make it into a practice. I'm just running around so much. So he understood, but the football team is going to do great things this year. You know, one-on-one right now, they give Ohio State a great run. And if they give Ohio State a great one, you know, they're, they're bound to be a top-10 team easy. Steveson says he's following the lead of former Gopher National Championship wrestler Brock Lesnar. Me and Brock go back to – he invited me out my senior year after I did the backflip. Um, he invited me out to the Target Center to watch WWE. And that's when the first time I met him, you know – and ever since then, he's just been a, like a figure that I can talk to, like a person that like guides me in the right direction because he's been in all like the heavy spots and stuff. So for him to for him to be there and he's such a legend, like everyone knows, you can ask a random person who Brock Lesnar is and he'd be like, yeah, he's a UFC champion, WWE champion. So for me to go out there and be able to have him on my side and have the guidance that that, that he brings is, is special. Steveson says this decision can help build college wrestling. This means a lot for wrestling. You know, um, WWE is so mainstream, and, and wrestling is trying to reach that point of being mainstream. It's not like a, a football player going and playing in the NFL. You know, NFL football is already mainstream. College football is already so huge. And for, for, for a college wrestler to sign to a pro organization like WWE, WWE fans have to watch our matches you know they have to tune into wrestling and, and a lot of people are going to gather wrestling a lot of people are going to figure out who like guys like i am and the 184 national champ are and so they have to tune in to to us and ncaa wrestlers and, and college fans have to tune in to them because i hope they tune in because i'm on there but it'll be cool to see a new a new fan base come into both 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 places Stevenson says he hopes to have an impact on more fans now coming to wrestling meets for Minnesota. Just being a national champ here and being an Olympic gold medal, I hope people just uh, just understand how great that is for university because we haven't had a national champ since 2012, and this program, especially RTC, has never had a, a gold medalist like ever. We've had a second place in Greco, but never a gold medalist. So I feel like um, – I hope ticket sales ramp up. I hope ticket sales don't just ramp up just for me. You know what I'm saying? I hope they ramp up just to see the whole team go out there and do something special. You know, we got a lot of good guys on the team. We got a lot of All-Americans coming back. And for them just to come back and watch me would be would be crazy because they got to come back and watch the whole duo. They got to watch everybody. So I hope they come back and, and show their support for the whole Gopher Foundation and program. Steveson says he'll take on the challenge of time management during this upcoming year. That's going to be a great challenge, you know, but we, we are, I live for a challenge like that. I'm young. I mean, it, like I said, WWE was my calling. You know, after after this gopher season, I'm, I'm all tuned in with them 100%, which is going to be sad that I got to hang up my, my wrestling shoes. But, I mean, I did all my jobs here at the university. I did all my jobs on the, the USA, uh, USA wrestling circuit. So um, my time has come, and I hope people recognize that um, – this is this is a crazy crazy time for me because this is gonna be my last year like wrestling with real wrestling shoes and singlet and all you know unless I go out there in WWE and put on a singlet which I cannot tell you and I don't know but um, 
Um, so yeah, this is it's crazy that this is gonna be my last time putting the putting this them straps on for the for the Gophers one more time. Indeed, it should be a fun year of Gopher wrestling in Minnesota. That's Eminem Sports Director Mike Grimm. And that'll do it for another edition of Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. On behalf of all of us here at MNN, thanks for joining us. And tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.